this. All right, can I pray? I'm going to anyway, so here it comes. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for a chance to open your word, to understand what it is to surrender fully to you. Uh, we're not going to fully get that probably today, and even if, we're do, even if we do, God, we're going to struggle with that. It's just a condition of uh, the old life and the new life uh, being a part of, of all of us. So, uh, but help us today. God, if we've, if we've gotten kind of uh, lazy, sloppy, distracted in, in our lives with you, would you uh, bring us back to, to, to a, a fuller surrender? Uh, Lord, there's going to be people in here this morning who are going to listen to me talk and, and they don't understand what it is uh, to be surrendered to you really on, on any level. And I pray that today is a day uh, where they take those initial steps of surrender and submit themselves uh, to you through their faith in Jesus. Uh, but for wherever we are, on whatever uh, level uh, we find ourselves, uh, take us deeper into you. Teach us what it is to surrender to you. As always, get me out of the way and speak in my place, God, so that we can hear your voice and follow your words. Uh, challenge us and change us, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our mission statement has been thrown around and around here a bunch. We're going to read it one more time together and kind of start there if we can. This is what we kind of exist for around here. Can you read it with me? It says this, we exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. When I, uh, uh, you know, penned that and, and, and made that what I sensed we were supposed to uh, build ourselves around as a church, uh, I, I, I wasn't really thinking about the individual words, but if, if you had to ask me, the toughest thing in there to do is the first thing, the surrender thing. It's the toughest thing to do in the Christian life. It's core and foundational to who we are as Christ followers, but it, it, it's, it's the most difficult thing to keep going or, or to start and, and, and persist in. It's also the most crucial thing because none of the rest of this stuff happens except that people, followers of Jesus Christ, do the first thing. If we don't surrender... Forget making disciples. We're not going to be bothered with it. Or we'll, we'll go about trying to do it in our own strength, in our own flesh, and we're going to be failures at it. I mean, surrender is first and foremost in our existence, in our mission as a church. It's first and foremost in, in your life with Jesus uh, as a person of faith. Tim Keller is one of my favorite authors. He he said this about surrender. He says, until we realize we are not competent to run our lives, we are not competent to run our lives. I think that's well said. And what I hope this morning is that we, we grow in our understanding of this, the great importance of surrender to God. So, so let's answer this question. Why is it so important that we surrender to God? I, I would start with this before I get to the blanks I actually have prepared for you or the slides I have on the screen. I would say, first and foremost, it's important that we surrender to God because that's what he made us to do. He designed us, created us, it tells us in the scriptures, uh, for one specific purpose, to bring him the glory that he is uh, so worthy of. Now, he, he didn't want that to just be some automaton, robotic praise, so he gave us choice. And in our choice, uh, we chose him not. But it doesn't Mitigate against the fact that, that that's what our creative purpose was. It still is. To surrender to God. It's why he made us. It's why we're here. Secondly, from the scripture, I'd say it's important for us to understand this whole surrender thing because when it comes to life, the Bible tells us that losers are keepers. Losers are keepers. 
Some of you thought, I thought that was finders. No, losers. Because here's what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, uh, he says to some of his friends, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and say it with me, take up his cross daily and follow me. That, that phrase there, take up his cross, that was an idiom of the day. It's kind of like a saying, like we say it is what it is, or you know, I'm busier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's maybe not as familiar, but uh, <clears throat> we have our little sayings, and back in the days that Jesus said this, we have evidence in other literary uh, places that this was a common saying of the day. So he just liberated a common saying. He said, hey, fellas, here's what it is. If you really want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. And what he meant by that is you've got to sacrifice all else. You've got to surrender fully, submit all in this following thing. He says in verse 24, whoever would save his life will what? Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. Uh, he gives this, uh, this comparison. He says, uh, everybody who's trying to save your life on your own strength, and on your, you're ultimately going to lose it. But if you would just surrender your life and submit your life to me, then those are the ones who truly find and understand life. We, uh, we get busy in life, and it's really easy to, like I said earlier, settle for commitment over surrender. Because we're committed to lots of things. Like, like uh, if, if we kind of had a, a bookshelf that kind of represented our lives' goals and, 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 and our lives' desires and all the information that we would hope to accrue so that we could get them, uh, one, of the, one of the novels would probably be all, all about peace. Can you see that? I don't know if you could see that. But, uh, you know, peace and happiness or peace and comfort. It's, it's the goal of, of most of our lives. Anybody here like peace? Are you comfortable right now? Some of you are like, no, it's cold. But you're sitting on the soft, you know, black chair and you're re- hopefully reasonably comfortable because uh, that's something that we aspire to as humans. We want peace and comfort. We want money or at least what money can give us. We want prosperity and all the things that come with it. We want to uh, have material things covered and, and, and be able to uh, have some assurances in life that we're going to be okay in that department. We want Relationships. We want there to be love in our lives. We want the people in our lives uh, to love us back as we give to them. We want security. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, security is one of the things that we desire most in this life uh, as we go through life. And, and then finally, all of these things I think could be wrapped up with this one volume. We want happiness. It's like our, our American right, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? Well, then we hear about this whole theological thing, this whole God thing, and we're like, oh, yeah, him and Jesus, and where do I got to shoot that so you can see that thing? There you go, whatever. Uh, and so uh, we, we have this volume that we call, oh, darn it, God. <laughs> and here's what we end up doing. We end up putting all these things on our shelf together. And we feel good about it, because we're not ignoring God. We're not saying that he doesn't matter. We're just saying that he's on par with everything else. Well, what Jesus just said is, no, it's not going to cut it. It's not enough just to have God be a part of your life. Uh, In fact, 
if you want to understand me and how I work, this, this is what I want. I want God to be over everything else in your life. In fact, if I had my, my druthers, there'd be nothing else in life except him. In fact, all those other things that you desire come as a result of you truly surrendering your life, you truly living up to the design that God made you to have. But we, we say no. We make commitments instead of surrendering all. He, he goes on and he says in verse 25, he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? In other translations, you probably grew up reading, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus asked a lot of these when he would teach. His answer was hopefully obvious to his listeners. Hopefully it's obvious to us. It's like, uh, it doesn't profit us anything? If we gain everything in the world, if we, if we go about uh, securing peace and comfort and, and relationships and, and prosperity and happiness apart from a surrendered life to God, it doesn't gain us anything. In the end, we have nothing. We're like uh, uh, Beanie Baby owners. Anybody remember Beanie Babies? You gotta be a certain age, but if, if you're kinda new to the planet, 20 years ago, uh, this guy, Ty Warner, came up with this product called Beanie Babies, and they're just stuffed animals. But he was, he was a genius, because he figured out that if he made certain Beanie Babies scarce, like didn't produce them, and people still wanted them, the demand would cause the, the rise of these uh, Beanie Babies price, and uh, he, he made, like, look, like, seriously, this guy sold stuffed animals, and he made $1.7 billion off of Beanie Babies. People bought them thinking, this is my retirement. I'll put my kids through college if I just have enough of, you know, lovable lamb beanie baby or whatever. Uh, but like every other fad, every other get-rich-quick scheme, uh, they ended up in the end just having drawers full of stuffed animals. Maybe you're one of them. And you, you get to the end of what you thought would be this great increase, and you find out it's really nothing. I think that's what's going to happen with a lot of the world. Maybe some of us even in here. We're going to get to the end. We're going to think, man, I've, I've got lots of beanie babies. I've got lots of stuff in life. I've, I've had peace and comfort. I've, I've had prestige and prosperity. I've made a name for myself and my community and my job. I've even had great relationships, which, by the way, none of those things are evil in and of themselves. Everybody understands me when I say that those are okay to have. They just can't be the thing or the things in your life. Because when you get to the end of your life, here's what God's going to ask us. It's not going to ask us what we did, what we had, who we loved. At least not on his first run through. He's going to ask us, hey, did I know you? Did you know me? And not just... Did you know about me? Did you surrender all to me? Do we have that kind of an exchange? Or was I just kind of one of the things in your life? Before I go on, let me, let me just kind of clarify what surrender is. It comes from military terms, and it basically means uh, that we admit that we lost. That we... Uh, <laughs> that we stop fighting, and that we do whatever the conqueror says. Every once in a while when I was growing up with my sons, 
uh, they'd think that they could take dad. You know, they got into high school and stuff like that. They learned a couple, you know, Muay Thai moves or something like that off of the internet. And so they'd, they'd come up to dad. And I would, I would wrestle my kids out in the yard, all right? And I would wrestle for effect. Does everybody understand what I'm saying when I say that? I would want to, fellas, anybody know what I'm talking about? I'd want to send a message. I didn't want to mess around. I didn't want them to think for a second that it was even possible that they could take me. And so as soon as I got my hands on them, they were on the ground. And what was I demanding of them? Say what? Uncle. What sadistic uncle in the history of our country started that tradition? Where he would fight his nephews and say, hey, you got to say my name. Say my name. But that's what I would make my kids say. When they said uncle, here's what they were saying. They were surrendering. They recognized, I can't win. I I cannot overcome on my own. So the only sensible thing to do is to stop fighting. Stop trying to win something that I can't win. And if they were smart, they would do whatever they were refusing to do that led them to think that they could take me and put them on the ground. Are you with me? They would adhere to what the conqueror had commanded. And that's what surrender is, church. When it comes to surrender to God, you admit, I can't win. I I can't do this. So I'm going to stop fighting. And I'm going to go and do what my conqueror requires of me. You know, I think some people, when they hear about surrender, they, they give surrender a bad rap because it feels like defeat. Nobody in America wants to admit defeat. It's just something that we were trained not to do. And even when we uh, sung the songs growing up in church, they were kind of like funeral dirges, right? You know, I surrender all blue, right? But, but let me help you kind of change your perspective on surrender. Surrender can be a great thing. It's just depending on who the conqueror is. Like, think about World War II. Uh, in, the, in the late 1930s and early 1940s, uh, Hitler and the Nazis wiped out pretty much every sovereign nation in Europe and took over. Took over all their resources, all their people. Um, they were uh, an invading force. And they opposed their will uh, against all those that they had conquered. Uh, that kind of surrender is defeat. It feels bad. It's, it's, it's not good. But then uh, four or five years later, depending on you know, the calendar you're following, uh, here come the allies. D-Day happens. And this rescuing force comes into these same territories that were now held by the Nazis and liberates them. Ever seen the video? Where these uh, uh, American and British and Canadian and all the Allied soldiers, were they, were they greeted with like fear and angst? No, they were hugged and kissed, strangers, wrapping arms around each other. Why? Because these conquerors, and make no, make no mistake, they were invading, reinvading this land. They were gonna turn it back over eventually, but it wasn't sovereign on the day that they were arriving into town. But it was liberating. I think sometimes we can think that surrender to God is gonna be this, oh, this defeat, this oppression, this, you know, we're giving up all the good stuff. I hear that from people all the time. I'd be a Christian, but I just, I'm having too much fun. They don't understand that the joy that comes from surrender to God far exceeds anything you can ever experience. 
in the world that we live in. We used to have this dog, his name was AJ, I've told you this story before, but he'd come in every day and he'd just roll over on his back when I got in the house. Now he did that for a couple reasons. He knew I was the alpha, okay? But he also knew that if he rolled over on his back, there was a greater than zero chance that I was gonna rub his belly. That rolling on your, on your back thing for a dog is an ultimate sign of submission. If you ever put a bunch of animals in a pack, uh, they'll fight it out until the alpha is, de- is designated, and then the alpha basically gets all the other animals to roll over on their back and submit to him or her. But that submission for AJ had gone way past the alpha thing a long time ago. His submission intoned or, or had in its, his mind blessing. If I can just get on my back, the big guy will rub my belly. What I try to teach you every week is that if we can just get on our back, if we can just get surrendered and say surrendered. I'm not saying it's a free skate. I'm not saying that everything's going to be hunky-dory. But I'm going to say that life will be far better for those of us who get to that posture than don't. So in the time I have left, let's just talk about why it's so important then that we surrender to God. Or how, excuse me, how then do we surrender to God? And we're going to move a little bit farther, further, further, further. <laughs> how you doing? A little bit further forward in the book of Luke chapter 9. And we're going to see another uh, story. Jesus uh, actually, uh, in, in verses uh, 50 through, or 51 through 56, uh, he offers go to go to a town in, in Samaria, which if you know anything about the, the cultural history of Jesus' day, uh, the Samaritans were like, you know, lower uh, class. They were not seen as someone fit to hang out with. So that Jesus was even interested in going and hanging out with them was kind of like, you know, he was giving them some shine. But guess what the Samaritans said? No thanks. Not interested. And some of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they were called the Sons of Thunder. I think they were like the heavyweight champs, you know, the wrestling federation of, of Israel. Um, they, uh, they were in Jesus' crew and they said, hey Jesus, uh, you just say the word and we'll go pray wrath. Uh, we'll pray uh, God's wrath over these Samaritans. Uh, they'd been out on a couple, uh, you know, type mission trips. They'd seen God uh, work through Jesus and Jesus work his miracles. And so they're like, hey, we could do that. Let us, let us kind of teach the Samaritans a lesson. And Jesus says, hey, fellas, settle down. Not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to follow me. We don't need to be out there punishing those who don't. Uh, it's in that context then that these next verses unfold. I think it's fitting because, uh, uh, you know, the persecution that comes sometimes to our faith, the lack of comfort, the lack of uh, seeming blessing uh, that, you know, comes into the Christian's life, it's, it's good to remember these things because surrender is still what God expects for us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we surrender to God? The first thing we're going to read here uh, in these verses is that surrender means choosing Jesus over comfort. It's using Jesus over comfort. Look what it says. It says uh, in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, just out of the blue, comes up to Jesus. Maybe he was kind of walking in the front, and this guy comes from the back, and uh, he's been so uh, amazed by what he's seen and heard in Jesus that he, he wants to make his commitment to following Jesus. And he says this to Jesus. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm in. Wherever you go, I'm there. Let's do this. And Jesus does something I think is kind of peculiar. He doesn't doesn't pat this guy on the back and say, way to go, Carl. 
That's right, you follow me. That's this whole thing. That's why I'm here. I'm, on, I'm here so that people will follow me. He doesn't, he doesn't commend him. He almost tries to deter him. Look what he says. Verse 58, Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Translation, oh, you want to follow me? You know where I'm going? You know where I've been? Do you understand what following me will entail? In another part of his life, Jesus told some parables about counting the cost. He says, hey, if you're going to build a building, make sure you got all the materials you need. If you're going to go to war, make sure you got all the army you need. If you're going to start something, be certain when you start that you can finish something. He doesn't want this kind of, you know, dip your toe in the water commitment thing. He wants an all-in follow. And so here, he wisely lets this guy know, hey, bro, you want to follow me? You better know where we're going. He doesn't talk about it here, but on several occasions, he shares with his friends, guys, I came to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The Romans are going to put their hands on me. They're going to crucify me. Now, good news, I'm going to rise again. But that's the whole point. In another part of his teaching, he says, fellas, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Following me isn't going to be the secret to a serene and peaceful and, and, and blissful life. It's, it's going to have hard parts to it. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to understand that comfort may not always be a part of it. But here's, here's the good news. Can I share with you the good news? Is that even as we give up comfort sometimes, even in those hard, difficult scenes that enter into our lives, God is still working his good in the midst of those hard things. He's still bringing about his best in us, even as we go through hard times. See, the, the, the scriptures teach in other places that when we are weak, he is strong. When we have less, he brings more. When we are uh, on the floor and unable, we are more attuned with and, and unaware of his provision and his place in our lives. It might surprise you to know that your pastor sometimes uh, has... Uh, uh, days, weeks, where uh, he isn't as excited about being a, a Christian as, as he could be. I'm not just talking about being a pastor. Everybody doesn't like their job sometimes. Anybody? Right? But I'm just talking about faith. Uh, you find out that maybe some of your kids aren't uh, making the same choices or choosing the same things that you would hope for them to choose as they uh, make their adult life of their own. Uh, you, uh, you, you go through certain periods where things don't work like they used to. You just feel out of sorts, out of, and, and, and you, you have these questions. I went through that uh, just this past couple of weeks during the Christmas season. I got up here and uh, preached four Christmas Eve services or Christmas Eve Eve or whatever. Um, did my best, pray that God honored those things. Uh, but that was a grind. Because spiritually, just didn't feel it. In moments, though, over these past couple weeks, God has sent messengers, just uh, mostly men in our church, my wife, to come in and be reminders of his grace. They've been ministers to the minister, right? And they've reminded me uh, that when I am weak, he is strong, that when things seem dark, 
he is on the way. And he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we can ask or think. And I stand before you convinced of those things again this morning. Because in the dark times and the hard times, God's at work. He's bringing out his best in us. Surrender means choosing Jesus over comfort. It's not always going to be a rose garden. That a Lawrence Welk song, I never promised you a rose garden. Jesus never promised us a free skate. But he promises to be with us. We just have to count the cost and surrender anyway. The next thing we see is that we need to surrender. Uh, uh, so our surrender means choosing Jesus over security. Look what it says in verse 9. It says, to another he said, <clears throat> this is Jesus now approaching someone else. I don't know. I, 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 the context doesn't really bear this out. I don't know if this is like three conversations on one walk. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think this verse guy comes up and he's all like bowed up. and He's like, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, I don't have a house. You probably won't either. You still in? And I can kind of see this guy being like, oh, sorry, and then moving to the back. <laughs> and everybody's kind of looking at the dude being like, wow. So Jesus is kind of standing there, and the crowd's gathered around him, and he turns to, I don't know who it was, but some guy in the front, and he says, hey, you're not like Carl. You follow me. Well, this guy apparently was like Carl, because <laughs> this guy says, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And we read that, and we're like, oh, no, poor man. His father has just died recently. He needs to go bury his dad. Well, we don't understand the Jewish culture if we say that. I don't think this guy's dad was dead at all. He was just uh, uh, buying time. Uh, customarily or culturally, relevant, or he was doing what was culturally okay. He was saying, hey, listen, I got family duties. He was probably the firstborn son. He'd kind of been following Jesus around, you know, taking a little vacation, hearing him teach, but uh, he had responsibilities back home. And he wasn't going to be free to do whatever he wanted until he became the man of his father's house. And that only happened when his father was dead. So he's saying, yeah, Jesus, I'd, I'd love to hang out with you. That sounds great. But i got to go take care of my, my earthly duties first. <laughs> Everybody think Jesus said, oh, okay, I totally get it. Bill, that's totally fine. It's culturally relevant. You're, you're, right on, 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 you're, you're right on the spot there. No, here's what he says. Uh, he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. <gasps> Jesus, that sounds mean. He says, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's break that, that, that one first sentence down. Let the dead bury their dead. Okay, I don't know if like watch the zombie shows, Walking Dead or whatever. Uh, but we know that dead people can't bury dead people. Is everybody pulling out of fantasy long enough to understand that? So he's not saying let the physically dead bury the physically dead. That ain't happening. So who's the dead that he's talking about burying the dead? The spiritually dead. And here's what he just said to this guy who was just trying to fulfill his earthly duties to his father. He says, hey, bro, if you're going to put your family above me and what God would have for you, understand that you have chosen who your God is. And in choosing your family as your God, you have shown me that spiritually, you're as dead as a doornail. Because you don't understand that even though this world has so many things for us to invest in, so many things for us to love and cherish, the most 
important thing, the most cherishable thing, is the God who made us and our service to him. This is a tough one in modern America because we make idols out of people all the time. Our kids, that's the tail wagging the dog right there. Our spouses, listen, I love my wife, Eleanor, but I am truly surrendered when I love God more than I love my wife, Eleanor. And, and get this, this is another sermon, but I'm a better husband when I love my, my God more than I love my wife, Eleanor. Because I'm loving her as an act of worship to him, not as an act of idolatry towards her. Are you with me? Jesus says, no, man, let the dead bury their dead. You and I, we got this mission of making disciples, of sharing this good news. Surrender means choosing Jesus over comfort. It means choosing Jesus over security and the things that we typically say are over. But if you haven't picked up what I've been putting down all morning, surrender means choosing Jesus over everything. In Luke chapter 9, verse 61, it says this. Yet another said, so first guy, Carl, he's at the back. Second guy, Jesus has told him, let the dead bury their own dead. So third guy, I don't know if it was just like an awkward moment and he felt like he needed to say something, but third guy says, all right, listen, Jesus, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I will totally follow you, but just let me go say farewell to my, to my family, to those at my home. I'm not saying I want to stay until my dad's dead. I just want to hang out uh, long enough to give him a hug and, and, and then I'm right with you. It's probably just another town over. I'll, I'll meet up with you in a couple days. Uh, this, this guy was, 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 a, was a biblical scholar because he was actually uh, saying something that had appeared in the Old Testament scriptures. This guy, Elisha, he was a prophet, and he was going to take the place of, of his mentor, a guy named Elijah. And Elijah said, Elisha, it's time to go. And when he, uh, when he comes to Elisha, this is what Elisha says. Let me go and say farewell to my family. And guess what Elijah does? He says, okay, I'll meet you here, and we'll, we'll start out tomorrow. But yeah, go say goodbye to your family. It's totally all right. So this guy's thinking, I got him. I mean, I'll totally follow him, but I'll still get my, my goodbyes because it's in the scripture. Elisha did it, so can I. <laughs> Jesus, again, rocks the boat and he says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, what? Well, Jesus had read the story of Elisha and Elijah too. Uh, he'd been the creator of both of those guys, and so he was fairly intimate with what had happened. And so he knew that when Elisha was talking to Elijah, Elisha was plowing a field. He was a farmer. And he brings out the fact that Elisha was plowing the field by saying to this guy in his time, hey man, if you're going to plow a field, and you look back, uh, you're a lousy farmer. Can everybody picture that? You get in a tractor, you got a plow on the back in our modern day scenario of this, uh, but you do this. The whole time you're driving the tractor, you're not looking where you're going. Are you going to plow straight rows? No, just so you know, that's pretty important in farming. If you go out by the strawberry fields right now, those things are space GPS, uh, lined up, uh, tractor robots. I mean, it's just cyber strawberries out there, right? And it's because they're trying to get every square inch that they can out of every field so they get the best yield. Science, man. And even back in the days before those things were available, farmers knew uh, the, best, the best field is the best plowed field. 
And if you, if you don't look where you're going when you're plowing, you're not going to have a good yield. Jesus says to this guy, yeah, I know about Elisha. But here's what I'm telling you. This message that I have, this mission that I have, it's so urgent. that We don't have time to be plowing your fields as you're looking back. And everybody's following the plow. It just isn't going to work. I need your full attention, Jesus says. I need all of you at all times. And he says this, he says, if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to fully surrender, to fully focus, as it says in Hebrews, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, if you're not willing to give that to me, that all, he says you're not fit for the kingdom. Anybody hear that? You're not fit for the kingdom. You don't don't get in. Except that we surrender all. Now, I'm not up here to tell everybody who's a Christian and who's not, but here's what I do know from other parts of Scripture. There's lots of people who kind of make God a part of their lives, but not the point of their lives. And the Bible says, hey, that's not what he was looking for. And they're going to get to the end and be like, oh, I thought I could just kind of squeeze him in on Sundays. No, he, he wants all. He wants us to be like this guy that I read about this week, a guy named William Borden. Uh, here's this picture. William Borden was a, a, a scholar and a, and, a, and a rich one. He was from Chicago. His dad was huge in real estate in Chicago around the turn of the century in 1900. And uh, so he had millions waiting for him uh, at a time where millions was a lot of money. Still is, kind of. But back then, lots of money. Uh, he went to Yale uh, in Princeton, studied at the best schools in our country. Uh, before he did that, though, he was 16 years old, and his dad said, you know what, I want you to go see the world. So he puts him on a ship, and he just basically sails around the world at the age of 16, 17. And as he's sailing around the world, uh, he stops in China. And God uh, speaks to this young man's heart, and he says, I need you to come here and tell them about me. I need you to come here and share Jesus with the Muslims in China. And so that's, that's what he gets from his trip around the world. He comes back, he tells all his friends, I have heard the voice of God. I've heard the call of God in my life. I need to go to China and be a missionary to the Muslims there. And they thought he was crazy. Some mocked, but his close in says, William, you can't do this. You're a, you're a person of prestige in our community. You got all this money. You got, there's so much that you can do here. Why would you go there? William Bolton took his Bible and he wrote in the, the back cover of his Bible two words. He wrote, no reserve. He's like, I'm not going to uh, hold anything back. I'm not going to have reservations about any of the things that I sense God is calling me to do. No reserve. He goes through Yale. He goes through Princeton. He's fixing to head off to the mission field. But before he goes, his father and, uh, and others who knew him started offering all these cushy jobs in real estate and in business that he was more than qualified for. He was summa kuma kuma summa or whatever. And, I mean, he, he, was, he was top of his class. And he kept saying no to them. And again, those voices came into his life and said, this is, this is asinine, this is absurd. Why would you take six to eight years of your life to be trained to go be a missionary in China? William opens up the back of his Bible And underneath those words that he had penned about six or eight years before, he writes these words, no retreat. No reserve, no retreat. 
and he heads off to China. He establishes one of the first mission efforts there in that country and uh, is, is doing well. He, he takes a visit to Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, uh, he contracts spiral meningitis, spinal meningitis, and, and uh, he, uh, <clears throat> at the age of 24, is sent home to die. And people come to his bedside, lamenting over his loss, saying, what a waste. If he had just stayed here where there were good doctors, good medicine, this would have never happened to this man. And as he laid on his deathbed, late in his life, he opened that same part of his Bible where he'd written no reserve and no retreat. And he wrote this, no regrets. No regrets. At 25, William was gone. But I'm telling his story 112 years later. Why? Because he, like so many others, had figured out what surrender was really about. And he had understood it wasn't about his comfort, it wasn't about his prosperity, it wasn't about his relationships, it wasn't about his security or his happiness. That the Christ life is all about God first. And even when those things aren't available, even when those things don't come, God is still enough. I know you got a cell phone, most of you. I'm going to ask you to take it out and just put it in your hand. We're going to finish this morning as Brad comes out, uh, just singing that, that chorus we sung before I got out here again. Just go ahead and put it out in your hands. Uh, many of you have the, the contacts of all of your friends and family, your loved ones, here on your cell phone. you got pictures of them as well. Um, this morning, here's what I, uh, I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to take the things of our lives and hold them out before our God, our cell phones. If you got your wallet, grab that, or your purse, ladies, whatever you got. Put that in, in your hand as well. Kind of, we're going to make a stack. Because that's your, that's your stuff. That's your material stuff. It's, that's, that's your ability to buy and have things. On my wallet, my license, my very identity is tied up in this symbol. Some of you aren't doing this. Be good Christians and do this. Here we go. Everybody uh, probably has a set of these somewhere on them. What do you guys got on your keys? I got the key to my house, key to my car, the key to my job. All the places that I go are opened up by these. And I'm not saying this is all of life, but on the things that we try not to forget when we leave the house, there's the emblems of much of life. And here's what I want you to do this morning as we sing this song. If you will, we're going to stand. Go ahead, stand with me. We're just going to hold these three things, our keys, our wallet, our phone. We're going to hold them out before a holy God. And if God's been talking to you today about surrender and you've been sensing in your heart that maybe things aren't surrendered, maybe some of the things that I've kind of uh, represented here with these items aren't surrendered to him. Maybe it's other parts. Now maybe it's, it's all of you because you've never surrendered to God. Let this be a time where you commit to hold nothing back from him and to offer him all. Let's sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the 
in our lives, God, that isn't yours yet, that you'd lead us to holding it out to you, to, to putting you first, to seeing you as our source for everything else that we desire in life. Be our priority, God. Be our treasure. It's where our treasure is. Uh, it's where we want you to be. Uh, God, uh, Make us a church that's strong because we're a church that's surrendered. I pray in Jesus' name.